0: Each and every one here. You know, it's the they call it the dog days of summer, so you might have a tendency to just sit back and maybe even catch a nap. But uh, we would very really encourage to see each one here. Um, just about singing about the the song that we just sang, "Standing on the Promises of God." Just a fleeting thought came to my mind. It's election year again, and you know all the promises that the politicians make. You know, they promise that there's going to be employment and there's going to be you know all these great things and they've been doing this over the years. And it's funny when someone is running for the second time they make the same promises they made during the first time, but we know how far and how valid those promises are. But fortunately for you and me today we can sing about standing on the promises of God and they cannot fail. So I think it's a privilege that we have that song to sing. But uh for our consideration this evening I took a little bit more serious topic and um you will find the application of this message both to the unjustified uh, those who are not born again uh, again the gospel is good news, and our primary uh, reason for preaching this is that uh, those who have not uh, those who don't have a savior might get yet another opportunity to to re- realize their need of a savior and put their trust in him, but also those who are justified and, and uh, glad to see majority of us are justified, meaning we are born again we have accepted the Savior. And uh, we are in the process of being sanctified uh, in the sense of being transformed into the likeness of Christ. So um, I personally benefited from a book that I recently happened to read and uh, just picked up some thoughts from there and I thought you might find it uh, profitable as well. Just a quick refresher on on a few verses that we know. I'm just just going to touch upon them real quick just to refresh our minds. We know about sin. Uh, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3 and 23. We know the wages of sin is death. Uh, Romans 6 and 23. Uh, we also know wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. Romans 5 and 12. So we're familiar with these verses. We, we hear it in the gospel meetings. We hear it in the Sunday school me- uh, treats and meetings. And so we know that all of us are sinners and by sin, again, very basic definition, we've fallen short of God's standard. And uh, just a refresher on that, but I don't know if it was last year or year before last, my kids, they got a toy, and uh, it was uh, something that you can use to explore your backyard. It's like uh, you would go looking for bugs, and then you can actually zoom in on those and then collect the bugs and then you know, keep them in, in a little jar and all that. So it came with a little magnifying glass where you zoom in, look for these bugs, or, or, or a little net that you can catch these uh, fireflies and things like that, the, uh, the lightning bugs. But today I was thinking is let's take the microscope of God's word and zoom in into this condition called sin. Just let's go a little deeper here. Um, let's try to peel the onion of sin if we were and just try to see what's, what's inside it. What's, 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 the, what's the chromosomal genetic structure of, of uh, sin? And um, let's look at the default human response to sin. And as well as touch upon the liberating truth that we find in God's word. So, if you would uh, turn with me to James chapter 1 verses 14 and 15. James 1 14 and 15. I'll just read two verses there. Just trying to get a, a closer look at what sin is and how it operates. Just the mechanics of the whole thing. James chapter 1 verse 14 and 15. But every man is tempted. When he is draw, drawn away from, of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. I like this verse because I think it's just not, you know it's going a little bit deeper into sin. And uh, you can actually see how it works. When I was a kid, I loved to break all my toys. Uh, my parents were tired of buying toys for me and I I didn't have a bag of toys but I had a bag of parts, toy parts because I would get this remote control car or or some some fancy toy and I would play with it for a few minutes but immediately I want to go inside it and see how it works so I would try and open it try it open if I can and the moment it breaks I I can't put the thing together because there are a million pieces in my hand and I don't know which which one goes in where the whole thing is wasted so I might have played with a new toy for maybe half an hour one day and then it's all pieces because I like to get inside it and see how it operates and this was kind of gives us an inside view of how sin operates and, and that's what uh, caught my attention. Um, every man is tempted and when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed and lust when it's concealed it bringeth forth sin and sin when it's finished bringeth forth death. So um, I see lust as as the seeds that are sown that that. that that grows into this sin that we are talking about which is missing God's standard which is missing the holiness that God expects of us. So again getting to the root cause and I have mentioned this before at work also whenever we have a problem the the first thing our managers tell us did you get the root cause analysis done? Getting to the root cause it's lust when it's conceived it's almost the analogy here is to a, a human baby being born so you see when lust is conceived it bringeth forth sin and when sin is finished bring it forth death. So, lust boils down to an overwhelming desire or craving as it focuses on pleasing oneself and often leads to unwholesome actions to fulfill one's desire with no regard to consequences. Lust is about possession and greed. So, you know... It's not just uh, lust; can be just greediness and position, and and uh, you know trying to please oneself. Uh, it can be in action; it can be in our thoughts, and and lust is definitely sin. There is uh, you you cannot in, God, in God's holy status there can be there is no place for lust. There's no place for sin. And and verse fourteen says the drawing away. Right, it starts. With, but every man is tempted, and when he's drawn away of his own lust, and he's enticed, so you see some some a drawing away that's happening, and um, it's the reversal of holiness, because in holiness we are supposed to forsake that which is evil, and cleave to that which is good. But when you, well, what lust is doing is it's drawing us away. So we're no longer forsaking that which is evil, and cleaving to that which is good. But instead, it's the reversal. Of what's happening there? Of, of what is expected of holiness and and uh, everyone has sinned so we can all you know admit very very frankly that you know we have lustful thoughts we have uh, the Bible also speaks in terms of if you look with a lustful eye you are you've already committed adultery so there is no uh, one who can excuse excuse themselves and say no you know I, I'm not a sinner so uh, and, and that, that's the beauty of God's word. It, it's, when it makes a statement, it, it, uh, it supports that statement with practical teaching here and saying, everyone have sin. Um, and, lust, and sin is not something that just happens overnight. It's, it's a process. And, and, and if you look at the first verse, it says, drawn of his own lust, own lust. It's not something that's coming from outside. It's not an external force. It's, 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 it's within every human being. So, um, we are good at the blame game. Now, if you go back to Genesis and you see uh, when Adam and Eve sinned, and God asked them, Adam, what did you do? Did you eat of the fruit that I told you you shouldn't partake of and you shouldn't eat? And his first response is, The woman you gave me. So, it's, it's not that he's just blaming Eve. He's blaming God. He's saying, you gave me a woman who, who tempted me. That's if he's blaming God. And and that's not a very uncommon reaction. We like to blame God for our sin, for our circumstances. So it's not my fault. You know, it happened to be lying there or, or you know, the cookie jar was open or, you know, uh, I faked, I was sick or so many things. So, we can blame other things, other people. We can even blame God. Uh, you know, and unfortunately so, you know, people always blame God, you know, if there's a, um, it's a problem. So, but then, but then the Bible very clearly teaches us that sin is within ourselves, it's not from an external force, or we are all sinners, it's within our being, because Adam sinned, and the human race is a fallen race, uh, and we are all, all have become sinners. Now, what does this lust do? It, uh It kind of gets into an endless cycle of lust. If you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 18 and 19. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 18 and 19. You see the endless cycle of lust. Ephesians 4, 18 and 19. Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who be who being past, who being past feeling, have given themselves over to lasciviousness, to work all uncleanliness, uncleanness with greediness. So you you see it kind of self feeds on itself, and get you get into this this uh, cycle of lust, and um, and also as we saw, we let these seeds germinate, and 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 they. These thoughts and, and, and these little things that we allow to grow in us—it's um, like it's like gasoline that is within each one of us—a very flammable liquid. And uh, what external forces can do to it is can spark it or can create it to 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 burn. So the Bible does talk about the devil as a tempter. You know, he tempts, and uh, it's like an external force tempting us, just making the gasoline or. or the lust uh, that leads to sin in our life just to come, come alive, to burn to come to life as it were and we know the consequences of the flame once it, once the, once it begins to burn it bursts into flame and, and always results in destruction and we know very well that the consequences of sin always is destruction death, death physical death and spiritual death, eternal separation from God um, very dire dangerous consequences of sin So there is no difference between you and a convicted felon, if you were to allow me to say that. Except that he was further down the road and several small petty sins along the way were treated casually and he's reached to the point where he is today. You cannot play with fire and expect not to be burned by it. And in the verse we just read, what happens is once we get into the cycle of lust and sinning, we lose sensitivity and we are given over to sensuality. So, in God's standards of wholeness and expectation from us, a little lust is not okay. Now, we've learned again in Sunday schools, growing up, like you know, little petty things. Petty things will lead to bigger sins. You start off, maybe when you're a kid, you're stealing a cookie, or you know, or making all these petty theft and petty sins, and 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 they they feed and they grow on and grow on until one day you're you know, carjacking or or breaking into a home and all these big sins. So it's just a a, a cycle that uh, that just uh, traps us and and destroys us. And um, when we say that in God's standard of holiness and his expectation of us, that a little lust is not okay, God is not against your lust. God is against your lust, not because he's opposed to pleasure, but because he's committed to it. So this is the other, other thought that people get. Okay, so God, is, God doesn't like pleasure or pleasure is a bad thing. But God is not opposed to pleasure, but he is against lust. Because lust robs us of the true pleasure that God has in mind for us. I like uh, Psalm 16 and verse 11, which reads, Thou wilt shew me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore psalm sixteen verse eleven at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore so God is not a God who doesn't like pleasure he's not a god who would like you to see you um, you know uh, miserable and unhappy and, 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 and he's not a god he's at his right hand there are there are pleasures forevermore in in his presence there's fullness of joy the problem is that we have with the constant bombardment of the media and the culture we live in, we are reprogrammed or conditioned ourselves to become insensitive and uh, we can at times go to such an extent that we, we cannot um, differentiate between pleasure and, and the fake pleasure that lust brings and that continues to put us in the cycle it 's like we are on this treadmill of lust and then which, le- which leads us to guilt and shame and, and it 's ongoing. Um, so, have you ever tried to break this? Have you ever tried to you know make some say resolutions so so for instance, New year resolutions He said this year I will not uh, you know watch these kind of movies or I will not read these kind of books but this year i will not you know I won't subscribe to these magazines I don't know many many other things that you know you can think of which which lust brings into your mind um we make these resolutions. This year I will you know, try to be healthy. I'll exercise. I'll, I'll diet. I'll do many of these things. We make these resolutions. But we fail time and again. And then we feel guilty. And we are ashamed of ourselves. And um, we just get to another cycle there. Um, or we try some self-improvement courses. We say, okay, a lot of books out there in the market. How you can improve yourself. You know, 10 steps to being a better you. A new and improved you. And you know, all these things We try. But what we find is, at the end of it all, you know, we are trying. That's the difference. We are trying, and we fail, and we shouldn't be surprised if we fail. Um, at times, we become very legalistic in our in our attempts to achieve a good standing with God. But let me gently remind you that salvation is not through works. So, um, so we're struggling with this problem of sin, right? And we've we've tried taking advice from people, we've tried several things, we can't break it. The fact is that we are helpless. And if you've come to a point in your life where you realized, I cannot break free of this bondage, I think you're on the right track, because you, re- you realize we are helpless. We, we can do nothing about our condition. So that's why we need an external agent, we need God's help, we need a savior to, to take us out of this miry clay that we are stuck in. Um... So, so so there are two ways to look at it. Maybe you're, you're struggling with sin and you realize you know it's sin, you know it's not good, you know this is something that doesn't please God. Uh, and, uh, and then you're struggling with it and you fail. The other extreme of it is, other, the other extreme of being very legalistic is that you. some people just say, okay, I give up. I just cannot live this lifestyle, it's too difficult for me, it's, it's not practical, it's not real... And they dive into sin and they dive into the enticement of sin, so that's the other opposite of of, of the danger of of uh, you know trying by yourself or just giving up and and succumbing and, and accepting defeat um, I think the whole problem starts with we have a wrong understanding of god's standard of holiness we've come to realize that you know. You know, a little bit here, a little bit there, that's fine with God You know, I can have, I can dilute God's standard of holiness, just to suit my needs that's one problem that we have the other problem is the source of power we try willpower. power, we try self things that we can personally try to do so, instead of depending upon God and then sometimes the, we have a wrong motive for, for trying to fight sin uh, which usually results in, you know, for the past week I haven't done these things, so I should pretty, feel pretty good about myself um, kind of bringing pride into the picture. So wrong standard of holiness, wrong source of power, willpower, and you know, all these things, and, and not depending on God's word, and the wrong motive for fighting sin. Uh, I'm reminded of this uh, tight rope, rope walker who crossed the Niagara recently, over the falls, and that was supposed to be a feat that millions were watching on television, and I happened to catch the latter half of it. It's pretty impressive what he did. Um, I think first time someone crossed over in 116 years, right over the falls, and there were some statistics that said it was one of a kind of thing that he did i um, sure many of you would have heard or read about it as well and uh, the picture that comes to my mind is he's walking on this rope and you have the roaring falls on one side, and you have the you know, the water, and then he's on this little rope um, and what he, his own testimony is he could barely see or hear anything because of the, the noise of the water and, and the mist that it generated But it was a beautiful picture that reminded me of um, the narrow way, right? The narrow way which the Lord Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. We heard that today also in the morning. So the the rope reminded me of the narrow way and and he kept looking at the end point because if he looked at the rope that kept swaying and he could lose his concentration. He just kept looking at the end point and walking and. And we are also supposed to look at Christ and, 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 and walk on the narrow way and, and the falls if you would allow me to compare it to the, the waterfall and compare it to sin right it's, it's an enticing roaring uh, thing on one end and, and on the other end you have legalism where you are trying through, through your own effort to, to save yourself but, but the solution that we have is just like walking on the tightrope looking under Jesus is through the cross there's no other way out. Um, John 8 and 36 reads, If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. So there's no other freedom that you can get uh, get from, you know, through self-improvement or following some rules or trying to be legalistic. If the Son therefore makes you free, you shall be free indeed. There's only one way through the finished uh, work of Christ on the cross where he shed his blood on our behalf. Uh, he the Lord Jesus paid the price for our sins, which we couldn't do. We couldn't save ourselves. We realize that we are like a hamster in this wheel, just spinning around. But uh, Christ has done the work, and all we need to do is recognize our need for a savior. Realize that in and of ourselves, there's nothing good that that can uh, we can bring forth, and uh, and then then depend upon the Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation to begin with, so that we are justified. So, that just meaning that. When Christ looks at us, when the Lord looks at us, He sees the righteousness of Christ and not our sins, and we get we have forgiveness of sins, and also the sanctification, the ongoing process by which we learn to trust and obey in Christ, and and depend upon Him for our daily living and strength, and and we, and, and, and depend upon Him for for power that we need for our daily lives, not uh, depending upon ourselves. So that way we have nothing to boast about. It's not our uh, self efforts. It's not any uh, you know ten point. Uh, uh, manifest is something that we, we are trying to follow, but we are just trying to follow Christ and Christ alone. John chapter 10 and verse 10 reads, the thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have life more abundantly. So abundant life is only found in Christ. And uh, his claims are true because we know we 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 are presenting a, a living savior there is no tomb or there is no you know, a marker or, or a temple or something that is built or a grave but we have an empty tomb on the third day he rose again he seated on the right hand of the father and we have a living savior we have a personal God with whom we can have a personal relationship and uh, we can have abundant life only through Christ so um, just just to really quickly wrap up here I think it is important for us to realize that lust Begets when it begets sin which leads to death a very important equation and uh, we have to realize that we can't break free from this uh, sinful condition that we are in we need a savior and uh, the good news the gospel we are here to hear the good news that the Lord Jesus Christ had come um, and he had fulfilled what God had required for us on behalf of us because we couldn't do anything he did the job now when Christ did not come to save us from our humanity. Sometimes we think Christ came to save us from our humanity. He didn't come to save us from our humanity. He made us human. And um, with all our you know passions and desires and, and, and everything that He made us human. But what, what He came to save us is from our sins. Sin corrupted our, uh, our, our, our very being. And so Christ came to save us from our sins. And uh, maybe tonight, uh, this evening, is an opportunity for anyone who has not accepted Christ to seriously consider the consequences of sin, which is death. Uh, we, as we already mentioned in the prayer, we just uh, heartbeat away from eternity. So time is not on our side. We don't have the benefit of time and we don't know when, what will happen. Uh, doesn't mean that uh, you know. I am standing here as a sinless person, though I've accepted Christ in my high school. I've had my own struggles. And uh, the beauty of it all is, uh, it's very uh, assuring to know that we are following a risen Savior. And he's there to lead us every step of the way. We might fall, but he's there to lift us up. And uh, we don't have to be, uh, you know, bondage to sin, and we don't have to have the fear of eternal separation. Because once you accept Christ, your uh, eternity and your, your eternity is sealed. You are sealed, and you are on your way to heaven um, forever. You'll be in his presence, and that's a wonderful assurance that each one of us have.